This is the Degradation Degenerates Podcast at Alluvial Media Network with Raven and Oliver. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome back. A happy Monday again. <sighs> you know, what, we're four, three weeks into the off season now? Two weeks? Exactly 15 days oh, it's been since I've seen a car go around a circle, and I am very disappointed. That is a major, major L for... Hey, at least we got the podcast recording to keep ourselves entertained. We do. There's a decent amount to talk about today as well. More than I'd actually think uh, two weeks into the offseason, because you don't really get a lot of your news until the very back end of the offseason when everything's starting to ramp up for the uh, beginning of the new season. But so funny, right after uh, we recorded the episode two weeks ago, we had Logan Sargent finally getting his contract, uh, contract renewal at Williams. And it's definitely one of the big talking points today because he was probably one of the most interesting drivers to watch uh, throughout last year. And a lot of people didn't think he was going to keep this seat. Um, but now that he has... Uh, Raven, what's your take on on him keeping the seat? Do you think he, he deserves it? Does he not? I think after one year, it was way too early to really tell where <clears throat> where he kind of was at in the race compared to both Alex and the rest of the grid. Very like, fair. one year is never enough time to really tell with a driver. Uh, I mean, you look in the past, you see, like, Mazaspin. Has a uh, good old Nikita Mazaspin. You know, he had two years, I believe, or more. No, he had one. Oh, he, he only had after. one. Wow. Okay. Well, besides him, I feel like there's not really and many other people that are gone after one I was going to say, you're, you're like past six, seven years. Your drivers who are losing their seat after a single year, you have Mazapin. I mean, Schumacher got two years. You had Brendan Hartley in 2018 lose his seat after a year. You had Sergey Sorotkin in 2018 at Williams lose his seat after a year. I don't know how he got that seat either. That's a talking point for another day. But, yeah, I think Sargent would have been, like, one of the first in in years to lose it after a year. Um, and it reminds me a lot of Red Bull booting drivers out after a year. But we will be talking about that later today. But, yeah, it's like... You know, in modern F1, it's completely unfair to judge a rookie after a single year. And I think that's why, like, a situation like Nick DeVries was so hard this year because he he still had a lot of time to develop in that car. And he had the unfortunate circumstance of having to drive that car at, the, at its worst point in the season. Like, I would have loved to see, one, how he would develop against Yuki Tsunoda, and then, two you know, how he would have done when the car was able to put it on P4 in Mexico like Daniel did and, you know, finish in the middle of the points like Daniel and Yuki and even Liam did. So, yeah, that's pretty unfortunate. But it definitely proves the point that Sargent does deserve more time. And I think what he has on his side that Nick DeVries didn't is how much younger he is because Nick DeVries came into into F1 as a Formula 2 champion. He came in as a Formula E champion, and he was 28 years old. 
Um, and that's that's really old for a rookie in F1. And Logan Sargent, I believe, is 21 or 22. I don't actually know off the top of my head, but it's one of the two ages. He's one of the youngest kids on the grid. And he's 22. Think, His birthday is actually at the end of the month. Okay, beautiful. So yeah, it's like, and I think James Bowles realized this, where it's like, you you have to give the kid time. He knew also that the Williams Development uh, Academy, you know, fast-tracked him into the sport as well. So him having mistakes, him having crashes, and him not being as close to his teammate as a lot of other team uh, duos are was kind of inevitable. He needed a lot of time to get up to speed, and I think that's what they really wanted this year to be for him because he he definitely showed a lot of, excuse me, a lot of uh, flashes of performance. Like my big one was two races into the season in Saudi Arabia. He was genuinely faster than Alex Albon throughout all of qualifying. And he only didn't get to set a time because he broke track limits. And that that was a habit of his over the season. But it's something he's started to iron out a little bit more. I was going to say, like, there's two things, major things with Logan that I feel like stick out for me. And that's one with Bowles, just how much he supports Logan He's been very vocal this entire season on, you know, he is a rookie, he's young, he's going to make mistakes. But when he has his, has those moments of brilliance behind the wheel and you can see it where he's driving better than his teammate and a lot of the other drivers on the grid, that's that's the Logan Sargent that they're wanting. Yeah, we need that, that Formula 2 race winner. I feel Logan like Sargent. him this season was just getting it like getting his grounding and getting comfortable behind the wheel and in the situations that he's going to be put into behind F1. Yeah, absolutely. That and the fact that he's done well. He yeah. has like when it, when he doesn't crash or has his what the engine failure, I forget was that at Coda? Where they dramatically cut to him laying in oh, the grass. No, that was in the Netherlands. Oh, that was insane. And movie. unfortunately, that was him crashing as well. But, you know, it happens with a rookie. But I think, I mean, he still scored points um, in a car that, you know, was bottom of the grid. Bottom of the grid for sure. Majority of the season. Um, you know, it did have its, its performance flashes where it should have been very good. I mean, in Vegas that was probably the best track for, for Williams all season. And they showed it in qualifying, qualifying fifth and sixth uh, after grid penalties for science. But I think they just got really unlucky with the safety card there, all that kind of stuff happening. But I think it, what's important to talk about is how much he needs to step it up next year against Alex to actually keep that seat for a third year. Because, you know, like we talked about last week, he was fully whitewashed in qualifying. He only outperformed Alex in the race two or three times. Um, and, you know, the points were split 27 to Alex and one to Logan. You know, what point spread, Raven, do you think we should be seeing, I guess, percentage-wise for each driver for Logan to make a case to keep that seat for one more year? He needs to get 40% of the points, I think. Like, okay. realistically, 40%, 40 wild to me. You can like fine. We'll say thirty. I was gonna the, say I'm looking. I'm looking for like a third. I mean, I feel like it's gonna be more about how 
he just is driving. If he is finishing races and racing well and like having meaningful battles, albeit, you know, he's in a Williams, so they'll probably be against Haas and Alfa Romeo and Alfa Tauri, but I think Williams will actually challenge Alpine next year. I, I think they're going to really take a step forward. I really hope they do. I, I, also, so Alpine can have somebody to challenge in the field because they had no opposition last year. And that was Nobody really, was, really boring. Yeah. Everybody was either better than them or far worse than them. It was so weird. And the point spread really showed it because they were the only team with 100 points. Yeah. I mean, you had Williams and every team below them, 28 or below, and then every other team was 250 or above. Um, but I don't want to go off on a tangent about that. Um, I think what's really important is, you know, you're definitely right about Logan having to drive super clean, have those meaningful battles next year. But I think they're not going to be they're not going to be as lenient with him as they were this year. I think he still needs to score points relative to Alex. Like if he's having meaningful battles and not crashing, but scoring no points, you're not keeping that seat. Yeah. I mean, you still have you have uh, Mercedes juniors like Frederick Vesti sitting in the wings, and that's a lot of people thought he thing. was going to get that seat that's instead of Logan this year. That's my other thing too. Is like, what are the odds that if he does well next year, that he goes to a different team? I don't know if I see that happening. I also I also find it almost inevitable that he loses his seat at the end of next year. Like th- that's that's a very personal take for me, but I don't see Williams keeping him after next year, regardless. Unless he beats Alex, if he beats Alex, then yeah. But I think he might go into the season fighting a losing battle, and he might know that. Um, and that's why he's going to try and maybe take this season to market himself to other teams by driving as well as he can. You know, I think Haas is a big spot that he might be able to look for. I don't think they're going to keep Nico Hulkenberg or Kevin Magnuson at the end of next season. And who are you really going to take um, to fill those spots? I mean, Oliver Behrman is definitely one that I think will join Haas uh, at the end of next year. But there's definitely, I mean, with all those contracts expiring, there's a lot of places Logan could go after next year if he does perform well. So he definitely has options to work with. And that's where... It's in his best interest to drive well this season. I know that's that's like telling any other sport just to do better, play well, yeah, play well, <laughs> do good, do better than that. Like it's just a claim. Like it's just be fact. It, I mean, be, yeah, albeit it, it, it might be, it needs to happen for Logan to stay within the sport. When you mentioned uh, Nick DeVries, I did want to give him a little congratulations as he's now driving in WEC. So now we're going to see him crash there. Yeah, I'm actually very excited for that. Um, I, I I didn't see who he signed for, but um, check I, I thought I, I swear I thought I saw DeVries re-signing to, an, uh, to a Formula E team as well, like one of the, the back marker teams in Formula E. He is currently competing for Maharindi Racing and yep, Formula, Formula E and Toyota Gazoo and WEC. Wait, Toyota Gazoo took him? That is huge, actually. Toyota Gazoo is where uh, is where Brendan Hartley drives, and that guy's won Le Mans like three or four times. That guy's a world endurance champion. Toyota Gazoo is a phenomenal team. He's uh, driving for the number seven team, uh, replacing Jose Maria Lopez. Okay. Yeah, Lamont is going to be interesting 
for him as well because they have a bit of a a class shakeup this year. I believe they um, they got rid of the LMP2 class for this year in Le Mans, so it's now just the hypercars and the GT3s, which really blew my mind. I saw it on um, I read I was reading some article on Motorsport um, where they were talking about not having the LMP2 cars anymore, which is really weird to me. I mean, the LMP2s and the hypercars are, you know, similar enough. You know, they're nothing like the GT3. The GT3 is it's like its own a class. far inferior car. Yeah. Um, so I think they wanted, you know, all those teams to focus on building the absolute best car that they could, I guess. I, this is me talking very uninformed and on a on a tangent. So don't take what I'm saying as uh, as fact. But, yeah, that, that really surprised me when I saw that a couple days ago. Um, I think another really important thing that I want to talk about when it comes to seats as well. Um, Before was, you go, I do want to say, I just yeah. looked this up because I was curious because, you know, Ford was at um, the Le Mans this last year Yep, with their test car. Uh, oh, yeah, they the did, NASCAR. They did say that they will be creating a Ford Mustang GT3 to challenge at the 24-hour of Le Mans in 2024. So okay, that is huge. There will be an American GT3 car. I think there already is an there American is, GT3. There is, but like, but like American that. engine GT3 car, if you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah. You'll get a stereo... <laughs> You're going to hear American V8 You'll get a going around. typical American, American-made car at Le Mans. Now everybody knows what they can root for. NASCAR, baby, let's go. Yeah, NASCAR, circles. Um... But yeah, back to the back to the whole Logan Sargent thing. Another seat that I think is really important to talk about, especially with Christian Horner coming out, um, was the the second seat at Red Bull for 2025. Because Christian Horner kind of mentioned it's fair game for uh, for 2025. Sergio's seat is absolutely not safe. At which all. I was gonna say, let's break this down. Which really just means Sergio's getting the boot, and between. I think it's a very fair statement. Sergio is not keeping his seat for 2025. He'll, uh, he'll definitely start for the first five races in 2024. I think that is a fact just based on how he is driven and how Red Bull is feeling with him right now. I feel like after yeah. that, it's either going to be a move with Alpha Tauri or do they bring on their third driver? They're like reserve driver and replace him with that. Well, their reserve driver is Liam Lawson now. So, and he was promised to be. Oh, in Liam Lawson's going to have a seat next year, or yeah, next year. But where does that leave Danny? Because he was also promised this Red Bull seat. Not going to lie, this is going to be a hot take. Daniel Ricciardo is kind of washed, but that is just me. Um, <laughs> hold up. I <laughs> let's, let's run that back. Why do you say that? It's been too long since he's been super good and consistent. The last time he was like genuinely a consistently good driver was 2020. Okay. With Renault. But now take him out of the Alpha Tauri car right now and say put him in an Alpine. Replace Esteban with Ricardo. How does how does that team do with a slightly better driver, in my opinion. I think Ricardo's better than Esteban. Yes, obviously. Don't get me wrong but like, on that. But with the current standings, 
right now, I so, would say that they are at a similar level. So Pierre Gasly finished on 62 points. Esteban Ocon finished on 59 points last year. I would see if Daniel Ricciardo was in that car, I'd see, well, obviously Gasly would finish with the same amount of points. I'd see Ricardo scoring like seventy-five. Like I don't think I, would, say, I don't think he would dominate Pierre. No, Gasly, he wouldn't dominate, but, but it would be a much better performance. I think they would scrape, yeah, maybe an extra fifteen points across the entire season. Do we want to move over to the dropped allegations now? Oh yeah, the whole conflict of interest with uh, uh, with Toto and Susie Wolf. The wolf. That was really interesting because. It's a conflict of interest between an F1 team and a, a F1 Academy team, which, for those who don't know, F1 Academy is the feeder series for women uh, who want to make it to F1, and they essentially drive what I would consider a modified, modified Formula, Formula Renault 3.5 type of car. You know, you're, you're So like a Formula 4 with a twin turbo. Yeah, I guess you could say something like that. Yeah, Formula 4 with a turbo or something like that. Um, so nothing similar to an F1 car. I mean, these things are like maybe 30% of what an F1 car is. Um, but it's like, what, what I'm really trying to think about is one, what information is Toto Wolf gaining from Susie from these Formula One Academy cars that is going to help out Mercedes as an organization in F1, you know? So my thing... After everything dropped, all the teams came out and posted statements to their social medias, and it was pretty obvious to tell just by the length of each team's post kind of who they were talking about right away. So we all kind yeah. of knew it was with the Mercedes and Toto and Susie. But my thing is, is a lot of the Formula One teams have a Formula One Academy team, correct? Yes. Okay. Quite so literally every single this, one of them. This is where I think that issue kind of comes into play is those teams are still funding those cars and developing those cars, correct? Absolutely. So, Well, those drivers. More the drivers than the cars, but yes. But at the same time, they're developing the cars. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that information is kind of where the issue is going to arise from because... Having an F1 principal be around that information. Because, like, we already know Mercedes is scrapping the entire car this year. So... Yeah. You're talking about the W14 from this yes, current year. Yes, I'm talking about the F1 car. Okay. Um, the information with those cars, albeit that they're much slower and different, there could be things that they can test on those cars. I think that's very fair. And when you do that, that's where it's like, oh, how did how did this test with this different part that my Mercedes car could drive? Like, is yeah. it an improvement on the car that we are? Like, that's where it kind of becomes the conflict. How does this transfer over to what we're putting into the W15? That that, kind of that is where I think these this kind of breaks down to is he shouldn't really be able to see that stuff. It's a different... Like they are a partnership, but at the same time, there needs to be a set division and rules of like, I don't know. Can to uh, can Susie just bring home like this is what I'm files saying. and How just be they, like like well, where is she can, that? But it's like 
you know, how are they not going to sit down at the dinner table and And just mention their like, yeah, there's that aspect. But I feel like even if in your day, you're not going to be leaking information that stops the F1 world for a little bit. Of course. So that's where it kind of just draws the line with me where I'm like, there's something here, but we can't pinpoint it. Like we know we know you did a crime, but we don't know the crime and we don't have any proof of the crime. So we're just going to that's why they had to drop it. We're going to give you a little spanking. Send you on your way. A little public display of humiliation. That was humiliating. That was humiliating. That was humiliating. (laughs) Shut up. Um, But my my question is, what does this do for not only F1 and the F1 Academy's future together, but also just how much our team's going to care into F1 Academy now that they know if there's some consequences, if you're trying to bend the rules. Where bend the rules. I don't know. It's like, I think F1 Academy, well, I, I think this is definitely a hot take for me, but it's still, it's fact. I, I think F1 Academy as a whole is stupid. Um, I think it is the most useless feeder series in all of in all of motorsport because I mean, it's I feel like it's more about the cause of what it's trying to do than it is about trying to create fair. a separate that's absolutely entertaining fair. series. However like, if you're good enough to get to F one, it doesn't matter who you are. That's true. It's the same thing with rally car. Yeah. There I were there are fair. plenty of women in rally car it is who are phenomenal who, as oh well. Oh my god, yes. Like Audi Quattro S1 highlights. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't need to go into rally car too much, but I do not want to have to talk about Ken Block again. Oh man, we just watched the last Hoonigan video. If anyone wants to check that out, it's a beautiful, that was beautiful series in um, Mexico. Rest in it's peace, beautiful. Ken Block. Made me fall in love in, with cars again. And yeah, that that was that was a huge bummer. But We'll we'll bring it to a lighter note and move on to our next major, major talking point. Uh, like we said earlier, the second Red Bull seat is going to be fair game in 2025, according to Christian Horner. Yeah, I think we, it's important to come back to this. Really break it down, all the Red Bull swaps that have happened since Max Verstappen made so it into that second Red Bull seat, made we, it his own. We know Liam is in contention. I would argue that Danny's still in contention. Absolutely. I think he is. Do we think Yuki is in contention? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I'm I'm very happy with that take because for the second Yuki Red Bull seat, take. I think your three people besides Sergio Perez um gunning for that seat is it's Daniel Ricardo, it's Yuki Sonoda, it's Liam Lawson. So the Alpha Towers of last year who are still with the team. Yeah. And a lot of them, I mean, they have they have good resumes. Yuki absolutely carried Alpha Tauri this year, no matter which teammate he had. Even with all the car troubles he had this year, yeah. he still outperformed them. Every single teammate he had on this an year. exponential rate. You had Daniel Ricciardo come back, put in standout performances in the Alpha Tauri after half a year out. You have Liam Lawson, who came into F1 on the, in my opinion, the craziest race weekend of the year in the Netherlands. And then absolutely held his own 
he was fighting Leclerc for half the race in a Ferrari, which which blew my mind. And he's the vice champion of Super Formula this year. This kid's resume is, is great. I mean, like, I could see any of them doing well in a Red Bull. But I think what's really important is to look at past Red Bull driver swaps to really get an idea for what Red Bull are looking for, especially with Perez. Um, so the first one that, you know, really started the whole trend of Red Bull being crazy with driver swaps was back in 2016 when Daniel Kvyat decided to, decided be, you know, to be a terrorist. Decided to be a terrorist. Max Verstappen puts it pretty well. He really can just... Daniel he has Kvyat. a way with words, some would say. Daniel Kvyat, you could say, he kind of gifted Max Verstappen his Red Bull seat. By his entire life? Exactly. His girlfriend? His child? His child. <laughs> oh, God. His F1 seat? His F1 seat. His dynasty is gone. Um, but no, I think the, the, the Max Verstappen, Daniel Kvyat one is the one anomaly with Red Bull... Um, I believe because I mean you're sitting on a ta- it's it's your here's your problem in 2015 Max Verstappen fully outperformed that Alpha Tauri he had multiple fourth place finishes in what was convincingly the seventh maybe eighth best car on the grid you, to put it P4 on pretty much merit twice is wild in your first F1 season when you are under the age of 18 that is unbelievable that, that's where I'm kind of getting at is if Imagine I'm going to throw this to like a baseball term real quick, but mm-hmm. imagine you're sitting on like the next Shohei Otani. You're not going to just, hey, man, I need you to take the back. Seat. Or like, look at like the Packers quarterback situation in the last 30 years. They get good guys and they don't just throw them out there. They're, they sit them back. They have them learn for a few years yeah. and then they go out there and do their own thing. That happens for 99% of people in any sport. The 1% of people that you have is like the LeBron James, Michael Jordans, Shohei Otanis, yeah. Aaron Rodgers, like the guys that, okay, you know, not Aaron Rodgers as much because it took him a few years to get good, but Patty Mahomes, Patty. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes is a great one. Um, these guys that you know are a generational talent that you yep. can build your team around. You're going to want to get them on the team and starting as fast as humanly possible for a lot of different reasons. And Max Verstappen falls into that category. He falls into it perfectly. So I think the big issue for Red Bull was they knew they had that Patrick Mahomes, that LeBron James, and they had to just pick somebody and find a moment where they could just boot somebody out. Because what's interesting is in 2015, when Max Verstappen was performing insanely well in his rookie year you had Daniel Kvyat beat Daniel Ricardo on merit 95 to 92 points um, in his first full season at Red Bull but you're not going to kick the fan favorite out well it's not even that Red Bull looked for their opportunity in 2016 they literally waited for one of them to make a mistake and Kvyat made the mistake and Kvyat made the mistake first and they threw him out and that's a that's I'm, I'm telling you, I believe if Daniel Ricardo was the one who decided to be a torpedo on Sebastian Vettel in China and in Saatchi. You mean, uh... Decided to be a terrorist. It, yeah, I mean, it makes more sense with the Kvyat. But, um, you know, yeah, if he if he pulled those antics in, in China and in Saatchi, I think Ricardo would have lost his seat as well. Because Ricardo wasn't... 
as established as a driver yet. Like his personality wasn't getting him over the finish line yet. But was it his just ballsy driving style that was keeping him in that spot then? I believe so. And he definitely had his flashes of performance before Max Verstappen joined the team. But like a lot of his standout drives for me happened after Max joined. You know, like his, I think his greatest victory of all time is China 2018, where like he truly cemented the nickname, the last of the late breakers. He had some of the greatest overtakes I've ever seen in the sport um, in that race. Um, but yeah, I think 2015-16 was Red Bull just looking to kick somebody out to put Max Verstappen in. And then, obviously, you spawned a teammate killer. So you move on to 2018, where Ricardo had just decided to leave Red Bull because he didn't want to deal with being the number two driver, and he had horrible um, mechanical reliability throughout Which, the 2018 season. I don't know if you saw, but someone asked him what his biggest mistake in his career was, and he said leaving Red Bull in 2018. Of course, and I would, I would definitely humble myself and say that that was a mistake. Um, he didn't want to be a number two driver, and I completely respect that. But, you know, you looking with, uh, with hindsight is always going to be different than, you know, sitting in that seat in 2018 with eight mechanical DNS. And making that decision. Yeah, I, exactly. I see what you mean. But no, I, I respect him a lot for saying that. Um, so with 2018 uh, into 2019, you know, Red Bull are just looking for a new second driver. This is not based on, oh, we have some wonder kid in the wings and we're trying to kick somebody out. We're just looking for a new driver. And their two prospects from 2018 were Pierre Gasly and Brendan Hartley. So you had Pierre Gasly in 2018 have his first full season at AlphaTauri. Drove insanely well. Um, second race of the season in Bahrain. Uh, the kid put it on P4 on merit in the race. Scored 12 points two races into the season in the AlphaTauri, which was a mid to lower mid team uh, in 2018. And you had Brendan Hartley score four points across the entire season. Three three points finishes, a P9, two P10s. Um, you know, that's not really going to keep your seat. No, it's not. And what what <laughs> what sucks about it, which, which I really um, feel uh, disappointed about, is like Brendan Hartley is a phenomenal driver. And a lot of people who watched the 2018 season will understand that he was like, an insanely unlucky driver that season. If you just look at all of his crashes for that year, um, a lot of them are just bad luck, being in the wrong place at the wrong time through no fault of his own. Like the one that comes to mind is his crash with Lance Stroll in Canada where Lance just boxed him into a wall and he shot across... Um, Shot across the track. Thankfully, took Lance out with him because if Stroll continued uh, after that, I would have been very pissed off. But he probably yeah. would have gotten a penalty. Let's it's like real. it's like which driver are you gonna are you gonna throw in that Red Bull? The the world endurance champion Lamont winner who is really struggling to score points, or this brand new kid who's in his first year, the 2016 GP2 champion who's already fighting for podiums in his first year somehow. Um, I think that one was a pretty obvious choice from them. 
uh, for them. But then, you know, they immediately regretted it the next year. Uh, the Red Bull in in 2019 with Gasly and Verstappen at the helm was, you know, it depended on the race weekend. It was the second or third best car, depending on which race weekend we were looking at. Um, most of the weekends that Gasly was driving it, I would say it was probably the second uh, second best car. So you're you're needing Gasly to put in, you know, P5, P6 qualifying performances at the minimum and be finishing P5, P6 at the minimum in the race. You know, that's what Christian Horner wants. And that's not what he got. Um, I believe in his first 10 races, his only 10 races at Red Bull, Pierre Gasly finished in the top six, I want to say four times. Um, and then you had Alex Albon, in the Alpha Tauri, you know, fighting Gasly for position in a lot of these races. And um Gasly got fourth once, fifth once, and sixth three times. Yeah. In ten races. First ten races of the season. He did were, he did get second in Brazil. That was when he, that, that was with Alpha Tauri. Yes, it was. But Germany was his last race uh in the Red Bull. Um, Hungary was. No, it was Germany. Not according to F1.com, my friend. Okay, well, F1.com is wrong because <laughs> I watched the uh, the race highlights for that last night. The <laughs> That was the worst. That was like the worst race of his career, dude. That thing was so bad. I, I, I could do a whole 15-minute spiel sitting here we talking about how bad We don't need to do a 15-minute spiel on Pierre Germany Gass. 2018. Yeah. Um, no, but it what made it so interesting was you had the guy who wanted Pierre Gasly's seat fighting uh fighting him for position in a far inferior car for you know his entire tenure at Red Bull. So Red Bull were very very uh aggressive with kicking Gasly out after 10 races. Lo and behold, we saw that again this year. Didn't think that was going to happen again, but Alex Albon got stuck in that car, and I'd say he did the same. I don't think Alex Albon did much better than Pierre Gasly did in that car, um, but he still got the justice of being able to do a second season um, where the Red Bull was convincingly the second-best car. So we're on 2020 now uh, with their last driver swap, which was Albon for Perez. So in 2020, uh, Alex Albon... Convincingly had the second best car. Uh, Max Verstappen showed that. I mean, of course, you're coming up against the W11, the most dominant Mercedes car of all time. So, you know, wins are going to be few and, few and far between for any team. Um, but, you know, with that Red Bull, that was pretty convincingly the second best car on the grid. You should be looking for, you know, P3s, P4s, P5s, your occasional P2s and, and race wins, which Max Verstappen did take. Um but we got almost none of that with Alex Albon in 2020. Um, he stuck it on the podium twice, but I'd say he was pretty much nowhere else the rest of the season. And his podiums were even in vain. Um, his podium in Tuscany at Mugello came in a race where eight drivers retired. So I don't think that's uh, on merit at all. Um, so I kind of write that one off. And then his podium in Bahrain 
is another one that I'd, I'd write off because he was finishing P4 in that race and his soon-to-be replacement, Checo Perez, was in P3 and had his engine blow up two laps before the end of the race. So that was another gifted podium. I don't think Alex deserved to keep that seat. Red Bull made the right decision and, and took Checo Perez, who finished fourth in the, in the driver's standings um, in the third best car, while Alex finished seventh in the second best car. Um, so I think what's, what's important to talk about with all these swaps is Red Bull wants performance and they want performance fast. So I'm going to pass it on to you, Raven. Who do you think out of Yuki, Liam and Daniel is going to give that super quick performance right out of the gate? I mean, just based off of my limited viewing knowledge of f1 and Absolutely. from what i've seen this year i want to say liam just because he came in and did that at alpha tower that is like, a wild call and i love it like the only other person i could really see is yuki just based off how he's been driving and how he's actually been fighting in the middle of the yeah. grid for most of this season that's the only two people that I could really see coming this year. I know I've been a huge Danny report, uh, like supporter for him to get the Red Bull spot, but realistically, it just the odds need to line up perfectly for that to happen. And I yeah. don't really think that's going to happen just based on with that what has all happened in the last year with the bottom of the grid. Yeah. So I really do think it's going to be Liam just based off him being so young and willing to you know throw everything on the line to try to get these results as quick as possible whereas yeah. i feel like yuki would probably be a little bit more conservative in that aspect where he would just want to get to the red bull seat and try to hold it for a little bit before trying to put up points and stuff i think that's fair i think you really have to take into account it took yuki a good two full seasons to get up to speed with that Alpha Tauri. Would that take the same amount of time at Red Bull? Probably not, but I'd still see him taking a full season to get on top of that car at least. Whereas Liam would take that. Liam would take three, four races before he's feeling comfortable with the car. I think Liam Lawson is way more adaptable. He is multiple time race winner uh, in Formula Two. He was rookie of the year in his first year, I believe. He is the vice champion of Super Formula, like I said. He was the DTM vice champion <clears throat> uh, the year before, and he shouldn't. He should have won that championship. He got taken out on the last race um, by a dive bomb when he was leading the world championship. So that was some BS. Um, this kid's pedigree is is crazy for how young he is. So who do I want it to be? Liam Lawson. I think he would do the best in the car out of the three of them. Who do I think it'll be? It's probably going to be Yuki Tsunoda, and I'm not going to complain about that. I think. He, I think he deserves it. To, to I think he's a, an attempt. I think he's deserved the spot and put in the work. Yeah, especially this year. And you know, Yuki's just everyone's heartthrob in F one. Like it's you love Yuki, it's you love Fernando, <laughs> or just like any of the videos with like the Red Bull team when they do those goofy videos before race weekends and stuff. Yeah, Yuki's a great personality. Like, there, I just remember Max and Daniel just messing with Yuki and pulling off his hat and like pulling his hair up on the podium, like while they're taking oh, pictures yeah. at the at the Honda race day. That's so yeah, much that like that's good. so much fun. And the other clip from that is the um, Max on the electric 
Honda bike that oh, like breaks no. down into a suitcase. He's just like weaving in and, in and out of cones trying to practice. And yeah. it's like, I don't know. I'm going to caveat this to another thing, but did you see that Red Bull announced that on Max's private jet, they have a full sim rig where he can practice? Bro's going to be doing iRacing streams from the private jet. Oh my God. Dude. So he can be literally on that, no, the way to a race. He that can be crazy. on the way to a race and be practicing before he even like gets up in the air. <laughs> Bro's practicing hearing the Dutch national anthem oh early, bro. God. Dude, have you, you saw the clip of him playing iRacing. <laughs> and then, yeah, and, his, and, and his everyone's using the soundboards with the Dutch national anthem. And he, was he was just getting, getting so pissed so off. Mad. Oh, that was I so mean, good. If you had to hear the U.S. National Anthem every single week, every week for what, 20 weeks out of 24, 20, yeah. 21 out of 24. Yeah. No, thanks. Yeah, I would. I wouldn't want to do it either. Uh, I would. Oh, man. Yeah. Thank God no one's no singing thanks. it <laughs> like an NFL game. Someone comes out and just starts singing. Oh, that would be brutal. Yeah. Speaking of the hearing that 24 race weekends. The whole uh, um, Madrid street circuit that yes. we were we were uh, looking at a couple days ago. Oh boy, this was something that I had a field day about because growing I, I up think in the Midwest, very serious about this. Oh, they are. But growing up in the Midwest, roundabouts are just a part of life. I mm-hmm. grew up in rural Wisconsin. Some of those some of those areas have, you know, eight roundabouts on a mile long street. And you know they're dan- they are they're they're efficient. I will say, but they are, if you don't know how to drive on them, a very confusing and dangerous. Absolutely. And b, why is there a roundabout in the Madrid Street Grand Prix circuit? Guys are going to be going flying through that, and it. They I know they're trying to make it like a little Monza like, yeah, a little sharp clone. turn. But there's going to be so many crashes there. Like, I already know. Anyone tries to overtake in that section is immediately getting shunted into the wall by another driver. It's going to be a beautiful set of chaos. But I really don't think that they're going to, like, the FIA is going to approve of it. Like, genuinely, I just, I feel like... Like, yes, these these drivers are the top, top, top 1%. But yeah. when you have, like, I can only think of the Mario Kart, the Delfano Square map with the round, like, where you have to go oh around the uh, thing. I know exactly oh what you're talking God. about. Like, now imagine two cars going 150 miles per hour trying to go around that at the same time. That's going to be a nightmare. Well, there, thankfully, there is one circuit that we can go off that actually does have this, and it's a very similar form of motorsport. Um, in IndyCar, um, at the Long Beach Street Circuit in California, there is a roundabout. Um, it's How in, big it's is insane. this roundabout? It's about the same size as the one they're trying to go around in in, in Madrid. Now, the IndyCars are slightly smaller cars. Are they also... They're like, V6 turbo They're hybrids. shorter in length. Are they shorter in width as well? Width is pretty similar. It's the length that's really the, a big the standout. Difference. Yeah. And they're running the same V6 turbo hybrid engines. I think 
they're willing to do it because they've seen it in other discretion of motorsport that's similar enough to F1, so maybe we try it out? Like, I don't know. I think it's going to be a nightmare. I think I think they will get rid of it after a year. I, I think that's a horrible idea. I do think a Madrid street circuit is a very, very cool idea. I definitely think it is, but now... But you you translate that to what circuit are we going to lose for that? Yeah, because I'm, they're I'm not, not going to lie. I was going to say they're not adding a 25th race. I, what? And I'm not going to lie, especially with the revisions that happened um, to the Catalonia circuit. I don't want to lose the one Spanish race we already have. Like I think Catalonia is a a decent track now. It's usually like in the past it's been a bore fest, but by really changing up that last sector. I really enjoy that track now, and I don't want to lose it for another street track. It's it's the one thing that sucks about modern F1. Every new track, is, it, it has to be a straight circuit. And, and, and I'm completely okay with, you know, having, you know, some street tracks, some hybrids, some road courses, but I don't want 50% of the calendar to be taken up by street circuits. That's fair. Like maybe maybe you have, but at the same time, like like rotation, something like that. Maybe. I like that where like you have a set of four that rotate every year. Yeah, I think that would be pretty. That cool. would be that. That's a cool concept and that, that would they like, could do. That would let tracks like Hockenheim or, or Sepang in Malaysia come back. But that's my thing is like they're not building new racetracks. Yeah, but you have like you have world renowned racetracks that are being unused by the top discretion of motorsport in the world. But there has to be a reason for that. Like we know well, Nuremberg, we know Nuremberg ring. We know that's a safety issue. Just hands yeah, down. Well, they'll, well they, they'll use the GP layout. Yeah, they'll use the GP layout, but that's not as interesting. I mean, they used it in 2020 for the, for the Eiffel Grand Prix with, uh, with COVID. And it was a, it was a decent race. Um, I, I honestly have you watch that after, after we're done here this afternoon, but, um, I think it's it's a funding issue. Um, that's why Germany lost the race after 2019. Um, that's why Sepang lost the race. They weren't having enough enough people at the races, so they weren't making enough money back. So they pulled out after uh, after 2017. It sucks because at the end of the day, F1 is a business, and it's with these new tracks, it's a lot easier to put money into building a street track it's going to cost less it's going to take up less land it can be it can be converted back to the roads we were using a week ago you know right after the race anyways um but i would like to see uh grand prix organizers think about the fans at some point and you know put these cars on tracks that really show off how beautiful you know their country is how beautiful the cars are. It sucks, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into a sop story about it. The the track actually looks decent. I'm not gonna lie. It looks pretty interesting. Yeah. And we and we thought Vegas looked like crap and it produced one of the greatest races of the season. So who knows? Yeah, I mean the memes about Vegas are otherworldly, but I feel like we should go to our last major talking point of today. Um this was probably the most recent thing on our list, but FIA prize yeah, giving ceremony. The FIA prize giving ceremony. Everyone saw that. That was a huge success. Um, you know, everyone really took home their their 
trophies and displayed them very fairly. No, what am I like? No, everyone knows the news. Lewis left his uh, trophy at the ceremony. But yeah, then other, another another source said that he gifted it to someone because someone then brought it home. Yeah. On and then posted on Twitter that it was just in their dining room kitchen. Like the same kid also at the prize giving ceremony, um, Max Verstappen gave him the driver's championship trophy to like take a picture with as well. That that kid was having a field day with that though, which I, I find it so funny. And honestly, um, on top of the the memes with all their trophies and stuff, I respect Lewis Hamilton uh, a lot for how highly he talked of Red Bull uh, at the prize giving ceremony. I think the Red Bull domination, and not even Red Bull, just the Max Verstappen dominance. Um, I think Lewis has really learned to to appreciate it and respect it because you have to remember. You know, he had it for so many years, and everybody respects how good of a driver Lewis Hamilton is. If you don't, stay mad. He's the greatest driver of all time. Seven, sorry, eight, seven, eight, seven, World-time eight champion. Mm, well, if we talk about 2008 with Felipe Massa and Singapore <laughs> Crash Game, he's a okay, seven time world champion. Okay. <laughs> um, but no, I think Lewis, Lewis knows how to. Uh, how to appreciate when somebody's doing well, and it's it's just very respectable actions um, to hear how highly he talked of Max and Red Bull. Um, but yeah, that that stuff with the trophy man was so funny that that had me going. And it, what what blew my mind is the um, and I always struggled around my head around this is the rookie of the year trophy that they give out when there's more than one rookie. It that sucks for me because I feel like you know that trophy is handed to Oscar Piastri on a plate because he's in the best car um and you know I feel like you know what if they did that by you know percentage of points um compared to your teammate instead then Liam Lawson would win rookie of the year exactly in in even though he raced what three four races yeah four races and you win Rookie of the Year, that that would be a pretty cool feeling. Dude, I would say Liam Lawson... Now, well, no. Who am I kidding? Oscar Piastri literally won an F1 event. He is the Rookie of the Year. Um, but I, I think Liam Lawson was in four races definitely better than uh, Sargent and DeVries. But what I found the most aggravating about the, about the prize-giving ceremony was F1 fans as a whole. And I don't want to, you know, hate on Sergio Perez anymore today. But, uh, you know, a lot of um, comment sections on, you know, F1's Instagram, Twitter, like that kind of stuff. Um, you know, a lot of people are asking, you know, why is Checo Perez getting so much hate? He finished as the vice champion of F1 this year. It's like, you know, Checo Perez scored less points this year in a more dominant car than he had last year. And I don't think people, I mean, I guess it's your typical DTS fans, um, a.k.a., you know, Americans, who, (laughs) (laughs) hey, I'm just stating a fact, Yeah. um, who don't understand, sure, he finished second, but it's like he's 500 miles off of his teammate. You know, 
put me or Raven in the in the Red Bull. We're finishing second in the World Championship, dude. Obviously, dude. I have you seen my F one highlights? Have you seen my CV, dude? All I, my resume is crazy. Do you know that I uh, took you out on purpose in that clip? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're rolling that next week. That, that was a crime. <laughs> This guy, this guy threw me into the wall in the tunnel section in Monaco. I, I literally was sent to the hospital. It was so funny. Call me like Max Verstappen, uh, Silverstone 2021. I was dead. Um, but no, um, I, it's, it's just funny because I think a lot of people are, a lot of F1 fans are satisfied with how Sergio Perez is doing. And, you know, true fans will understand. Um, you know, Sergio Perez, sure, he's the vice champion, but he needs to do a lot better. Yeah, when you're vice champion, but you scored half the points of your teammate, I don't really think that means you're vice champion anymore. Um, I agree. I think vice champion and champion titles should just go to Max. Give uh, give Christian Horner the vice champion, honestly. Honestly, give it to Fernando. <laughs> Fernando he, he is my, drive Fernando with a, was my vice champion. He had a drive with a uh, you know weighted vest of a teammate. Yeah, we don't talk about him. He's out at the end of next year as well. Let me just say and that. So Lance Stroll's gone. Dude, his dad. I'm on it. Isn't his dad trying to sell the team too? Yeah. I don't think he thinks his investment's going really well, but, which blows my mind because he's still building that like factory for Aston Martin as well. And I think he's got to wait for that And to the be team done. is not bad. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, the They're car wasn't upper. great this year, but or this for the second half of the year, but... If you can keep what you had at the beginning of the year and just have that work for the rest of the year, they I could, see they could finish Martin. third. They I see Aston second. Martin coming out of the gate like they did this year again. And I see them falling off next year again. I, I genuinely think that's going to happen. It, it's either they have a direct repeat of this season or they have a McLaren of type this season. Year. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be one of the two. I, I still think they're going to finish top four. Uh, again, I think Fernando Alonso is going to score podiums again next year, but it's, you know, when in the season does it happen? Do we get win number 33? Do we get a Fernando Alonso world championship? No, I wish. I hope so. Oh, I'd give anything for that. Put him in the second Red Bull seat. Who am I kidding? <laughs> Do it. Do it, Christian. Do we'll it. there eventually. You know, he'll have a little, you know, they'll go to the cafe in Paris or something. You know, have a little talk about that, and we'll see him in the see him in some Red Bull overalls next week. That's my prayer. I'm just gonna keep dreaming on it, bro. Imagine a GT team signs Max and Fernando to be teammates. Like have them drive in WEC together. I would love to see that. that and and would be amazing. Max is gonna go to WEC after oh, after he's hundred percent. He wants to race uh, in that series so I think, much. I think he's gonna be one of the most decorated drivers of all time. Just the fact that he loves to learn how to drive new cars. Like he loves to learn, and like that's why he loves sim racing so much. Is because he practices cars that he doesn't get to drive in real life. But once he gets into those cars, he already knows what he's doing and already has it's such so a skill. Impressive. Like. He's one of the most adaptable drivers, but also one of the most quick learning just because of how he is as a driver, like how his brain works. Yeah. It's so fascinating. I think what what separates Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen for me when it comes to achievements, uh, this is my last talking point of the day, is 
I, I think Max Verstappen could be the second driver ever to win the Triple Crown of the Monaco GP, 24-hour of Le Mans, and the Indy 500. Because what I see um, as a as a difference between Max and Lewis is Lewis is F1 till he dies. Um, and I respect that. I fully respect that. But like you're saying, Max wants to learn every discretion of racing because he just loves learning it. He loves driving every car that he can. I mean, let's be honest. If Max Verstappen doesn't win the 24-hour of Le Mans at some point in his life, I will genuinely be surprised because I guarantee you he'll spend multiple years in that discretion of motorsport. Attempting and it, yeah. I would see him attempt the Indy 500 as well. I would not be surprised if he attempts the Indy 500 as well. Just for a year? Yeah, I mean, do it like Fernando did in 2017, 2018. He contested it twice. He was honestly on to almost win it one of those years, and then his engine just gave up on him. That's typical McLaren Honda uh, type stuff, but we won't talk about that. That was pretty sad. Um, but yeah, I, I see Max breaking records in all discretions of motorsport that he goes into, and I can't wait to see it. I, it's so funny. I can't wait to see him leave F1, but not because I don't want him out of F1. I just want to see him dominate elsewhere Other, as well. Yeah. Like, I'm Imagine just, I'm he goes so to MotoGP eventually. Oh, I, would, I don't know if I could see him doing no, motorcycles. Moto, I'll never GP see him doing is, motorcycles. MotoGP is a different kind of death wish. But I was going to say, you got to for MotoGP, that's another thing where it's like, it's like you're starting in carts. You have to start driving motorcycles really young. I think MotoGP can drive like F1 cars, but I don't think F1 drivers can drive MotoGP. I think that's very fair. I think it's a very fair statement. Maybe Alonso could if you... Give him enough time. I feel like he can figure it out just because that man has racing going through his DNA. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah, I think. I definitely agree. I think the skill ceiling for a MotoGP driver in an F1 car is higher than the than the inverse. Because what Rossi tried or like did a, a few outlaps one year. I believe he did. Yeah. Alex Rossi. I, that, that sounds right to me. And he and he, he did a couple couple races in an F one car in twenty fifteen. Mm-hmm. So he definitely has experience in both. All right. Well, I think is there anything else? That's all for me for today. That's all. For I can't me. wait to get to these predictions in like a month. I'm so excited to do that. To just sit down and really think about how I want to go about next season. It's gonna be fun. Excited for car reveals. Another big thing that happened was uh, Drive to Survive was announced. But yeah. Everyone have a good rest of the day. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Thank you.